Guys, good Tuesday afternoon. I'm Jerry Miller. Welcome to the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us. It's a pleasure to connect through the I Love Seville network in our building, the Macklin Building on Market Street. Office space available. 30 executive offices to be, in fact, here in the Macklin Building with two spaces currently open and ready for a thriving business and or entrepreneur take charge of them. So much to cover, ladies and gentlemen. Look at the screen for today's headlines. We're going to talk the University of Virginia, the number five public university in the United States of America, according to U.S. News and World Report, number 24 overall. I want to highlight the political action committee on today's program, Albemarle County Parents Promoting Learning. We'll compare and contrast what Albemarle County Parents Promoting Learning, it's Christopher Siemens PAC, is doing in contrast to Forward Albemarle, another policy group that's lobbying group that's trying to drive educational advancements, if you may. Also on today's show, I want to ask this question. Should local schools ban cell phones altogether in hallways and in classrooms? The reason I ask that question is because Charlottesville Public Schools currently is deliberating debating and considering banning cell phones altogether in hallways, classrooms, and frankly speaking, during school hours. I am a huge proponent of this. Some parents are not, and I will let you know why. I'm excited for Thursday, September 28th. On that particular afternoon, I will be the keynote speaker for the Real Estate 3 conference, their brokers and their agents where I talk about the future of real estate. Not only the future of real estate, but we'll talk this topic, content as a currency. And I truly believe that. Content drives engagement, engagement drives eyeballs, eyeballs drives. Ladies and gentlemen, there's Letty Bean, the retired colonel right there, we love you too. A sister from another mother right there. She works for the Charlottesville Chamber of Commerce. She presented the Ravenna Station 450-plus-acre um, purchase of Albemarle County tax dollars to keep the, uh, the spies working within this community. Donna Price on this show called that the biggest economic development in Albemarle County history last seen since the University of Virginia was birthed. I mean, that really puts things in perspective. On the 28th of September, guys, I will be the keynote speaker talking about where real estate is going for Real Estate 3, one of the large brokerages in this town. We'll talk about what a realtor in the year 2025 will look like, the personal uh, brand importance, the importance of having a personal brand, um, and so many other talking points. I want to start the program by giving the Charlottesville Police Department significant props. I champion the blue on this show every day. The men and women under Chief Mike Cotchis and the Charlottesville Police Department are making positive change in this community. And I will utilize our influence and platform to champion these folks that put their lives on the line every day to allow us to live in a community that I am proud to call home, proud to raise our children within. Um, Chief Cotchis in the Charlottesville Police Department, the boys in blue, the ladies in blue, props to you. We also give props to uh, Scott Wagner of Dr. Wagner of Scott Wagner Integrative Medicine. He is changing people's lives at Scott Wagner Integrative Medicine. All right, our lead headline today is UVA. Um, I think you've heard of it. <laughs> the number five public university um, in the in the uh, in the nation right now, according to U.S. News and World Report. 
UVA is making some significant moves. Number 24 nationally, that includes public and private schools. Um, and the U.S. News and World Report has overhauled its mythology for assessing universities. Uh, that's an important criteria that I need to highlight. The mythology is putting less um, importance on alumni financial contributions and more importance on a diverse ecosystem. This mythology uh, change has made the rankings move. It's made the rankings move. Uh, UVA considers the US News and World Report rankings um, very seriously, very seriously. The magazine identified Virginia as the, the five public school and the number three best value public school as well. I've talked on this program what I think is going to be a five or seven year period of tremendous change for Charlottesville and Atmore. We know that the data science school funded by Jeffrey Woodruff and the biotechnology school funded in part by Paul Manning and his wife, that's a $350 million biotech school with $100 million coming from the Mannings. These two schools are going to add a significant impact, a significant addition of incremental citizens to this community. We also know that the University of Virginia is expanding enrollment, and the University of Virginia is hiring more staff to service the expanded student enrollment. At the same time all this is happening, Amazon is investing $11 billion, with a B, into Louisa County. We have this confluence of impacts colliding within a five-year period of time. So I'm going to ask on today's show, how does Charlottesville, how does Albemarle County, and how does our region, a region we call Central Virginia, look five years from now when eight to 10,000 incremental citizens come to the region, come to Albemarle, come to Charlottesville, with big bags of money, looking for housing, looking for amenities, looking to spend the money they have, how will the identity, how will the socioeconomics change, and will it be for the better? We're gonna have that conversation in about eight or 10 minutes with a panel of experts. I'm gonna also ask on today's show, what is the future of office space? I'm going to ask on today's program, will an employee who chooses to work 40, 60, 70 hours a week in person have an edge over an employee that chooses to work 40, 60, 70 hours a week in either a hybrid setting or a remote setting? On today's program, we will also ask this question, and I think it is a very, very important one. Employers that require employees to return to office either in full or in hybrid commitments Will those employers maintain the same momentum and success with hiring that they have today, five years from now? I love topics like this because they offer a launching pad of many different perspectives and many different thoughts and ideas. Where it's okay to agree to disagree, we do it in respectful fashion, and I think that makes for, there's that key word again, content, fantastic content. Two other topics before we get to our panel of experts. I want to highlight two political action committees. Well, one is definitely a PAC. The other one is more of a lobbying group. 
The first pack is the Albemarle County Parents Promoting Learning. It's a pack created by Christopher Seaman. Christopher Seaman is an attorney who works for Washington and Lee, and he's also um, the second largest donor to Allison Spillman's campaign for the at-large seat in the Albemarle County School Board race. I said on yesterday's show, and this is, my crystal ball on this program has proven to be very, very correct. Very, very correct. Um, I said on yesterday's program that the Meg Bryce, Allison Spillman school board race will have the most voter engagement, people actually voting at the booths or doing early voting, um, in Almoral County election history. I want to really, I want you to digest what I just said. The at-large seat, there are seven seats on the school board. Six of them are tied to districts. One of them is a generally elected seat. You can vote anyone in Almoral County for this particular race, if you're of voting age. This at-large race will have the top voter turnout in Almoral County, Virginia history. You have polar opposites running in Allison Spillman and Dr. Meg Bryce. Spillman, a mother of five. Bryce, a mother of four. Spillman's children in public schools. Bryce, children in private schools. Spillman, very progressive with her ideology. Bryce, very centered, leaning right with her ideology. Communication with parents as it pertains to sexuality and gender identity is a topic that is very pertinent in this race. Um, certain books and whether they should be offered for checkout purposes at school libraries, very pertinent in this race. Collective bargaining, very pertinent in this race. There's two entities, the PAC, Albemarle Parents Promoting Learning, and Forward Albemarle, that are influencing this race undoubtedly. And those two entities, the lobbying group Forward Albemarle and the PAC, Albemarle Parents Promoting Learning, are very much in favor of Allison Spillman getting elected for this at-large seat. I'm going to ask some tough questions, but some fair questions. Here are the tough questions I'm going to ask in regards to Christopher Seaman's PAC, Almore Parents Promoting Learning. Why has the PAC gone somewhat quiet of late since Mr. Seaman got the word I'm looking for. Perhaps the word is doxxed for the website he tried to create, MexCaliaBryce.com. He purchased the namesake URL for one of the candidates, Dr. Bryce, Max Calia Bryce, yes, the daughter of the late Supreme Court Justice. And when buying the URL of her personal brand, he then put content on this brand through a WordPress website on this platform. But he made a mistake. He wanted, to, wanted it to be anonymous, not tied to him. And some, some sleuths, Judah Wickhauer, one of those sleuths, uncovered the tie to Mr. Seaman, the founder of the Political Action Committee, Almoral uh, County Parents Promoting Learning. Since that doxing happened, the MexCaliaBryce.com website has been taken down. And it is now behind a credentialed WordPress username and password um, landing page. Why was it okay for the website to be live when he thought it was in an anonymous capacity? Now that the website is not anonymous and it's tied to him, you know, himself, it's tied to Mr. Seaman, it's been removed. The content's been taken down. I find that perplexing. 
if you're going to launch a political action committee and you are going to buy the namesake URL of a candidate in a school board race, we're not talking president, we're not talking state senator, U.S. senator, we're not talking congressman, we're talking school board here. If you're going to buy the namesake URL for a candidate in the school board race and you're going to put content up there when you think it's anonymous and make it public for people to view, why do you then take it down when people know you are the author of said content? That, to me, reeks of hypocrisy. I am all for someone offering their ideas and their analysis and their thoughts and their perspective on all things local. Heck, I do it every day. I do it 20 hours a week professionally, one of the ways we make our living. I do it differently, though. When I'm offering my takes, my analysis, and my influence, it's done with my name on screen. It's done on social media channels tied to me personally or my business that everyone knows. I do not hide behind fake accounts. There is nothing wrong with disagreeing with what a candidate has to say in a political race. But there is something wrong with disagreeing with a candidate if you're going to do it behind anonymity. And when that anonymity is called out, then you take all that content down. And in regards to Forward Almoral, I will give Forward Almoral some props. They are active and they are engaged. They are fighting for collective bargaining for employees of ACPS. I, for one, believe ACPS employees should have the power of collective bargaining, should be unionized. I've said that many times on the show. Charlottesville Public Schools is going through that right now, and they have the power of collective bargaining. There's an, indivis an, an invisible jurisdictional line between ACPS and Charlottesville Public Schools. Few of us in this community know where that line is, where it's, we're in Charlottesville and we're in Almar County. If Charlottesville Public School employees have the benefit and the power of collective bargaining, and ACPS employees do not have the benefit and the power of collective bargaining, What's going to happen? The best from ACPS will head to CPS because they have more perks, more benefits, more influence through said unionization. I also am very nervous that we're losing some of our most talented employees with public schools, not just private schools, but also the private sector. And we talked about that last week within Charlottesville Public Schools. They have a significant vacancy rate that is nearly 2x the state's average. I'll say that again. Charlottesville Public Schools, the vacancy rate within CPS is nearly 2x the state average. We need to champion and empower our teachers, our bus drivers, our teachers' aides, janitorial staff, guidance counselors, coaches, administrative assistance, heck, the man or woman working the phone in the principal's office. It's time to champion them at the same vigor we're championing our local police. One more topic before we welcome a panel of experts to the show to talk about employees and employers and the return to work dynamic. We will also chatter on today's program. Will employees who work in person have an edge over those that choose to work in a hybrid or remote setting? I also want to ask the question, what's the future of office space? I want a building on the downtown mall. I'm concerned about the future of office space. 
We'll also highlight what has turned into an amazing event, this Disrupt HR event on Tuesday, October 3rd from 5 to 8 p.m. We'll give you those details in a matter of moments. I want to ask um, viewers and listeners what you guys think about Charlottesville Public Schools considering banning cell phone use, not only in the classroom, not only in the hallway, but, but potentially on grounds in totality. It's no secret that cell phones have become the antithesis of social. It's so weird to say this as someone who makes his living on social media. Social media, in a lot of ways, is the antithesis of social. We choose to put our head down with our necks cranked and our shoulders slumped, tapping a screen and interacting with people on smartphones, as opposed to doing it face-to-face -face over coffee or a cold beer, over a nice Bagby sub over lunch, maybe something wet at Rapture or Three Notch, maybe some dinner at Bizu, maybe a burger. I prefer the steakhouse at Citizen Burger Bar. CPS right now is saying, parents, we are this close. We are a whiskers hair away from banning cell phones altogether with Charlottesville Public Schools. I, for one, think that is brilliant. There is tremendous empirical evidence that when you ban cell phones in schools, students get back to doing social engagement, in-person engagement. Instead of walking around in the hallways with their heads down, looking at screens, their heads are up, their shoulders are back, and they're talking to people. Furthermore, teachers have highlighted when cell phones have been banned, the level of attention and the academic success in a classroom improves. Kids are not distracted by TikTok, Snapchat, and Instagram. Instead, they give their teacher a little bit more of what's going on between their brains. And for me, that's a success. Those that are against the ban say, what happens if we have an emergency in schools? How will they notify us if something is going on? I appreciate that. I'm a father of two. My wife and I love our boys dearly. We, you become a parent and you get perspective you never once thought you would have uh, until you see two bowling balls come out of your wife. Uh, then things change dramatically for you. My wife is a foundation of our family and a rock star. We had the conversation today over breakfast, and she said, you know, I get the safety issue, but I would want our boys paying attention to school and learning more so than the risk I may have of not being able to reach them in a lockdown or an emergency scenario. I'll talk these topics as the week progresses. I want to table them for now as we welcome our panel to the show. Um, Judah Wickhauer is the director of our Fine and Fair talk show. Uh, Katie Pearl, I will get to your comments in a matter of moments. We will get on today's show uh, Lily Garcia Walton, who's the chief people officer and the general counsel at Silver Chair. Caleb Nelson is in the house. He's the business intelligence engineer, or one of them, at Amazon. And Dirk Peterson, a man who I've known for quite some time, the vice president and the co-founder of Insight 222. 
so much we're going to cover. We'll go ladies first here, and we'll start with Lily. If we can go about, uh, that's perfect right there. Lily, um, I think if anyone has spent any time downtown over the last handful of years, they recognize your face and who you are. Um, but for those that do not know you, please introduce yourself to the viewers and listeners. Uh, thanks, Jerry. As you said, I am the Chief People Officer and General Counsel of Silverchair. I had the distinction of joining my great company in the middle of the pandemic and being part of our transformation from a fully co-located team to a remote first or hybrid team. So I'm excited to dig into that topic today. I can't wait to highlight it. Why don't we welcome Caleb to the program? My first time meeting Caleb. I'm very excited to spotlight you, sir. Business intelligence engineer at Amazon. I can't wait to ask you about that. But before we get into the nitty gritty, the show is yours. Introduce yourself to, to everyone that's watching the program. Awesome. Thank you, Jerry. Um, so Caleb Nelson, um, I've lived in Charlottesville for eight years now. Started my career at World Strides, moved over to S&P Global, um, acquired my master's degree in data science, and then I was fortunate enough to get picked up by Amazon last October. I love the city, huge fan of it. Um, one uh, institution or organization in Charlottesville that's closest to my heart is C4K, Computers for Kids, and I am the president of their board. Um, so super happy to be here, and thank you for having us. I can't wait to highlight data science. Um, man, you are in a, you have a master's in a profession that is undoubtedly booming in the future. For sure. And the data science school, Jeffrey Woodruff, friend of the program, is funding this school. The impact this school is going to have on this community should not be um, underthought or, or, or underconsidered. Before we get to these topics, let's welcome Dirk Peterson, a, a world traveler, a gentleman, a scholar, a squash player, a nice guy, and my friend. Dirk Peterson, the show is yours. Thank you very much. I think you said it all. <laughs> I'm delighted to be here in Charlottesville for the last uh, decade and longer. Um, uh, one of the co-founders of Inside 222, we focus on people analytics. And with that, a lot of the 100-plus uh, companies that we work with um, that are half based in Europe, the other half here in North America, all focus right now on this topic of how do we impact productivity engagement, retention of our workforce through decisions on remote, hybrid versus in office. And so happy to discuss it. I've been working with Lily for five years now, I think, on yeah. this Disrupt HR uh, event and um, really excited for this year and excited that, again, we're supporting with the funds from this event, the Computer for Kids uh, team. You got uh, two TV stations watching you guys currently. You got a local newspaper watching you currently, and you got uh, the newspaper in Richmond on the program as we speak. Way to take the pressure off. Very nice. We'll start. We'll start on this topic right here: hybrid, remote, in person. This has been a topic that has dominated the news cycle since the pandemic. Um, I'll start this question with with Lily here. We have seen employers and employees have some friction on this topic. Some employers, especially those in the banking and financing uh, industries, have said, look, you've got to come back to work. No coincidence, they own the office buildings where they're running their business out of, and they want to make sure that those office buildings that often have mortgages on them are utilized. Um, I'll start with an open-ended question. Caleb, you jump in. Dirk, you jump in as well. Sure. How have you seen the return to work movement the hybrid movement and the completely remote work movement 
either collide, pose some friction, or complement each other? For us, it's been a no-brainer. It quickly became an important strategy to retain our top people to continue to allow that flexibility. And we surveyed them very deeply. We must have conducted three different surveys on the topic of where do you work, what's most effective, what have you found throughout the pandemic. That was in early 2021. And what people told us is coming together is most important for building community and collaborating on creative projects that require ideation. And they're not wrong. That is what the business research supports because there have always been hybrid and remote organizations. This is actually a topic that's been very well researched by experts such as Linda Gratton. I'm a disciple of Linda Gratton. And for those of you who are listening, she published a wonderful book uh, in the middle of the pandemic called Making Hybrid Work. You can get the pun there. And what, what Linda talks about is the importance of figuring out what coming together is for. There literally are things that you do professionally that are just better done remotely. It's just silly to have people come in. And it really gelled for me one day when I was on a call at Silverchair and I saw the setup that one of our developers had in his house. It was fantastic. He had the whole light display. He had the mood exactly the way that he wanted it. And I thought, why would I drag this guy into the office? He is working exactly the way that he needs to be working to optimize productivity. So there's a little bit of a, there's a dialectic, right, between employers and employees. You can take the perspective that, as you said, Jerry, some employers have taken that we want butts and seats, come back to work, especially since we own the building, right? I need to see you working or how do I know that you're working? Um, or you can choose to trust and measure productivity in other ways and allow people to choose for themselves what it is that works best for them. Now, with that said, and I'm sure we'll get to this in a moment, there are some things that are better done in person. And a great example for us is collaboration amongst the leaders that, that drive Silverchair. We, we come in voluntarily every single week for our leadership meetings because that's just better done in person. Some people, even in that group, are remote and they come in when they can. So it's, it, there's, a, there's a nuance there around the work that you do, but by and large, for a technology company like ours, there really is no point in forcing people to come in. But we do offer our office as a benefit. It is a well-appointed, uh, cozy co-working space that you can take advantage of if you work for us. So we've kind of flipped the script and made coming in a benefit rather than an onerous requirement. Caleb, the show is yours. Yeah, thanks, Jerry. Um, so for context, I am a fully remote employee on a team that's also fully remote. Um, I think all of the technical individuals that I work with, software engineers, project managers, so on and so forth, they are too remote. Um, so there's no requirement uh, for our team nor myself to go into the office to get projects done or anything like that. Now, I will say that uh, I kind of miss interacting with individuals. Um, so I have signed up for a membership at Common House to have a co-working space to meet people on a regular basis because I think not being in the office has taken that opportunity away from me. So I found balance for myself. Um, and uh, I guess ultimately, and I'll end here, um, the sort of work style that you want is going to be dependent upon your lifestyle and family situation. Um, for a lot of people, remote works well. Remote works for me well because I can spend time with my mother and father a lot more, my sisters who look up to me. Um, but then there are folks that are a little bit more social and need that space. Or both. Um, so uh, I just hope that employers offer opportunities uh, fully in the office, hybrid, 
and remote to those that um, are interested in one of those three. Can I ask you a question, Kelly? Sure, sure. Uh, in terms of how does your connection to Amazon develop with you being fully remote? Because that's one of the one of the discussions that we hear about. That you know, if you're fully remote, as you said, less interaction with individuals. So, so how do you how does that work? Yeah, I'd say that there's less physical interaction, but um, I'm definitely on calls with people that are in Luxembourg, um, somewhere in Asia. Uh, all over North America. Um, and there are opportunities for myself and my team to actually meet in, say, Arizona or Arlington to have um, the kind of normal uh, interactions that you would have with your teammates. Um, so hopefully uh, employers find balance. Um, they do enough research to understand what their employees and future employees want. Um, and we're just in a kind of deciding period right now. So, Are we, and, and this is a question for the panel altogether, it seems to me the technology firms are at the um, forefront of potentially driving either the hybrid or fully remote movement. And that makes sense. The technology firms have the infrastructure to make hybrid work or remote work efficient. It also seems to me that the finance firms and or the real estate firms are at the cusp or the back end of making sure people work in person. The finance firms have the buildings on their balance sheets. The real estate firms want to, want to insist or, or insisting that real estate, especially commercial, is still rel relevant and prevalent here. I'm going to throw that topic, the, the dichotomy, if you may, of the tech firms. And you guys, you're three employers, I would say. I mean, you're certainly in the analytics space. You're in the data assessment space. You guys are very much tech-centered firms, I would say here. Uh, I want to throw that topic to you. Dirk gave me a little shoulder there. And he indicated <laughs> to me that potentially he disagrees on some of this. Yeah, so, so I think you're absolutely right. Uh, tech firms are often further toward the fully remote and hybrid space. I think for the companies we work with, uh, are all Fortune 500 global 1,000 size firms across industries. And when we look at it, the vast majority are hybrid and a few are mix of remote and, and hybrid. There are very few that are fully back to the office. And finance firms, yes, they have the balance sheet, but the same thing with the pharma companies, same thing with the manufacturing companies, they have their buildings on the balance sheet. That is not a reason for going back to the office. I have not seen any convincing evidence that supports coming back fully to the office all the time, every day. It just, there isn't any, uh, and except for the executive feeling that that's better for him or her. <laughs> and that's unfortunately how we have heard informally behind the scenes why these decisions for fully back to the office have been made in a number of these cases. My larger sense is that this is a battle, that a war that will continue, and we right now have the swing back toward the office, and those companies that are pushing that very hard are going to find themselves in a situation that Lily described of having less ability to get people, get good people, and hold on to good people in the next two or three or four years. And especially as those fully remote companies are growing, are hiring more people, that pressure is going to increase of 
moving toward flexible work arrangements that benefit the employee as much as it benefits the, the company. Um, and I'll come back to what that means for your real estate investment. I, I want to throw this to Lily. I want to throw this to Lily. I clearly have a role to play on today's show, as, and, and my role as a host is to keep the conversation flowing and the tempo going. I see a panel that is very much in favor of hybrid or remote work. So for the sake of a talk show, I'll play the game to the end. Okay, for the sake of a talk show. Goldman Sachs wants employees in five days a week. Google is factoring in employees' in-person attendance into their performance reviews, which translates to benefits, compensation, and bonuses. A whopping 90% of companies plan to implement return-to-office policies by the end of 2024, according to an August report from Resume Builder, which surveyed 1,000 company leaders. This is data that I'm reading literally from CNBC right now on the computer in front of me. I'm going to throw the topic to Lily anywhere she wants to go on this. I think it's a mistake. I mean, I, if, if I'm an employee at one of those companies, I want to see the data that tells me definitively that I'm going to be more effective in my job and that I'm going to have more career advancement, not just in this company, but in the future as a result of having to come into work to perform my job. It, like, it, it just, the, the arguments based on the research that I've conducted just don't hold up. And I think where you were going perhaps a moment ago, um, Jerry, when Caleb was talking is, well, if you're working remotely for Amazon, then how is that a distinctive experience, right? What I've heard a lot is, what's to prevent me from just swapping out one laptop for another, right? Like, what's, what is actually holding me to this company if I'm not coming in? And I think that that's one of the things that's at the heart of these decisions is the fear that employers have that somehow if I don't, if I don't bring people into the fold, right? If they don't, if they don't get incorporated into who we are and the culture, then these bonds are loose, and there's nothing to prevent them from walking. And we we've just found it to be the exact opposite at Silverchair. You, what I think, and I'll, I'll be, you know, in the spirit of your show, Jerry, very sure. blunt. Yeah. I think that's just lazy, right? That's you saying the only way for us to build and preserve culture is to drag people into the office and then just like watch the alchemy happen. And that isn't what actually builds a team and sustains a team and sustains a person and captivates their imagination and their passion in the long run. It is all about intentional points of contact. And sure, if we're not all together, then you have to remember, it's time for me to check in with Andrew or it's time for me to check in with Peter. I haven't heard from them in a while. How are they doing? How is it that we're tracking our work, right? It requires you to be a lot more transparent about showing your work and what it is that you're doing so you can collaborate more effectively. They're, they're, but all of these things are solvable, right? What you can't solve for is human beings feeling like they have respect and dignity and agency in the way that they do their work. And that is what these employers that you're speaking of are compromising and requiring people to come back. Caleb, the short shows. Yeah, for sure. I think um, the sentiment of the group of people that are forced to go into the office is going to be pretty poor. Um, and if the sentiment is poor over time, I think they're going to be encouraged to leave. And losing talent isn't what you want. Um, so I think there are going to be companies like Spotify that remain remote and maybe attract those employees, very talented, very intelligent, with a lot of experience. Um, and then other companies that do not offer that fully remote experience. Um, are losing those same employees. Uh, so ultimately, employers are going to use that as a competitive edge, um, and we're, we're going to see how that plays out over the next few years. Why, why I'll throw in the uh, Common House. you got the Common House membership. 
You sure do. the common house membership because you miss the social engagement and social interaction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, common house, fantastic spot to work. Um, not free. For sure. You're taking money out of pocket to go to a place to work strictly because you want to be around other people. For sure. That sounds like a work setting. Yeah, it's a, it's a choice that I made, though. I'm choosing my social environment. I think that's important. I, I have been given the opportunity to choose who I want to be around at whatever frequency um, and meet people on a Monday, Tuesday, Friday. Um, and I think that opportunity is great and probably not an opportunity that I would have if I was forced to drive to Arlington. That's very fair. Great take. Dirk sure. Peterson. Yeah, I think, I think what um, you're pointing to is that office is going to change going forward. Right? The office is going to be a convening space rather than a desk where you do your work independently. Uh, to Lily's point earlier, the, there was a great study done this year by Microsoft. Um, Dawn Klinghoffer is leading the People Analytics team there. She's on our board at Insight 222. And um, in the study, she, they found data from the Microsoft employees using Microsoft Viva and the other analytic tools that they have that very much uh, underscores what Lily pointed out, that there are four or five reasons why you being together makes sense and that means that offices will change in order to facilitate these interactions. So meetings, brainstorming, onboarding, learning from each other, mentoring, those kind of things can often be done best and better in person than uh, if you're remote. And so if the offices that are being built are built with that in mind, then they will thrive. If managers are trained to understand that their role is to think more carefully about when and why and how I bring my team together in person, then those teams will thrive. But it means more complexity, again, for managers and leaders in organizations. Um, and, and I agree with Lily that I think right now it is just easy to say, let's do three days in the office or let's do five days in the office. It's, there is no data. And, and as I said, I mean, we work with over 100 companies that all have done this research, and not one of them has found that being fully in the office five days a week has any kind of positive benefit. You've got a lot of silver chair watching you here. Um, I see them on the show. I see them interacting <laughs> with the program. Hey, Dan. Um, silver chairians. Is that what you call silver, silver chairians? Okay. You are C-suite. You're a co-founder. You guys make some tough decisions here. Um, a business has a building that it's either paying rent or a mortgage on over a long term that still has a lot of payments left. What is that business going to do with this financial exposure on its balance sheet? Bluntly, you're going to reduce your space or you're going to give it up. I mean, that's what we did. We inauspiciously, in February of 2020, we signed a lease to expand into the entire hardware store building. So a month before uh, COVID hit Charlesville. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. We didn't have a crystal ball. So we, made, we took that decision. It took us a year and a half to renegotiate the lease and to reduce our footprint. Now we have half the space we originally thought we were going to have. But imp importantly, we decided we wanted to have a physical space we, because we believe that there's value in having that sense of place and to Dirk's point, a place that you can go to for that collaboration and to build community and to gather. So 
Uh, it's important to us to be physically connected to the Charlottesville community, to have that footprint, to have a place that embodies Silver Chair. If you walk in, you see all of the artifacts from our founding today present showing the evolution of the company. It, it's, it's a place that reflects who we are. And we see that as an important part of our culture as well, as, as well as a place to host our, our customers and our prospective clients. So it is, um, it is a thread that runs through everything that we do that connects us to this community. So that, that has that is value to us, and that's why we've kept it. But I don't blame a lot of the organizations that have complete re completely released their office space throughout the pandemic, uh, because it's, it is uh, difficult to justify the cost. Derek, I'm curious of your thoughts. And then, Caleb, you jump in on anything you want to cover here. No, I think I agree. I think this is, um, and I think we are representing one side of the argument, as, as uh, you, you pointed out. You guys are very pro-hybrid or pro-remote. Yeah, I think I'm I'm pro thoughtful coming yeah. together. I am a social person. I would love to be able to see my my colleagues every day. Unfortunately, they're in London, most of them. So shout out to our London colleagues. Um, and um, I was there uh, last month, and it was just phenomenal being in the office, being together. But it was phenomenal because it was a special moment, and it wasn't just going to the office every day, commuting every day, as you were pointing out, Caleb, um, an hour or more each way, right, which is sure. just a lost time. Um, the, you are much more productive when you have that choice and the freedom to decide and, and to Lily's point, trust the employees to make the decision when and where they're going to be most productive that day. With the caveat that the employees need to understand it is not about just themselves, but it's about their team and the team's performance. And so let me give you an experience, uh, an example. If you're an experienced employee, you have to be willing to come in to help onboard a new employee because one of the reasons offices or one of the ways offices are very effective is to bring new employees on board. And so that is a contract I think that, that needs to change or is changing, that I'm not coming in every day, but I, I'm willing to come in to help out for others, with others, to make my team more effective. It's not just about me and whether I'm more comfortable, you know, getting up 15 minutes later and, and making my coffee in my kitchen rather than the office. Caleb? No, for sure. I've, I've got limited thoughts. So uh, I agree with both Lily and Dirk. I think if the opportunity presents itself and it makes sense, explore it. But otherwise, uh, give people the freedom to make their own choice. Comments, put them in the feed. I will relay them live on air. Comments are coming quickly here. I'm going to get to this one who's Jonathan is watching this program. He's in Belmont. Uh, he has this. Jerry, I love the shows that you produce on your network. I've gone from a casual fan to one who is literally watching your shows every single day. Much like some of your other viewers and listeners, we are now walking the dog around Belmont, and the conversations that come up around our streets are the shows and the content you discuss on a daily basis here. Please bring this up to your panel. What they are missing is entire shopping, dining, and entertainment districts are predicated on people being in the office. If they are championing a work from remote or a work hybrid environment, they are championing against small business, local shopping, local dining, and local entertainment. Have a conversation with the owner of Bagby's. Ask him what demand has been like since the hybrid and remote work has been prevalent. His demand is down, and I would imagine much of the businesses on the downtown mall would also agree with that. That's an interesting comment right there. Who wants yeah. to tackle that? Yeah, I think I, I agree, and I think that is, that is a challenge. And 
a challenge also for our community, right? Because Charlottesville is such a wonderful place because of the downtown mall, because of the community we're creating here. And by not having as many people on a daily basis downtown, you are reducing the spending that is being done. What it will be replaced with, I believe, is through culture events and, 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 and moments and reasons why we should come downtown. So that's why I'm so excited about the film festival in October. That's why I'm so excited that we're doing Disrupt HR and Live Arts October 3rd. Um, that's why I, I really was so happy to go to the Southern to see the Curries and Box Lunch, our local bands last weekend, right? And our squash tournament at Boar's Head. Events are going to drive revenue and, and small businesses, but I, I don't see that companies are going to return in the same way that they have, unless there are more companies, right? We can now fit more companies in because you have less space at Silverchair, so another company can move in there. But This not- puts things in perspective, then I'll pass the, uh, yeah. the baton there to Lily. CFA, and we broke this news on this show, they announced the sale of their building. CFA sold for $21.9 million in July of this year. CFA purchased this building and remodeled this building over a decade ago and had nearly $50 million of commitment to it. Yep. And the summer of this year, they sold it for $21.9 million. It's a massive haircut. After we broke this news on this talk show, a Daily Progress reporter went to the CFA Institute on High Street and he walked into the building and the entire building, or at least the floors that he checked tied to CFA, were vacant and empty. Not only were they vacant or empty, the cubicles and the computers in, these, in, in, in the CFA Institute had massive films of dust collected upon them, indicative of people not being in the building for not just days, not just weeks, but longer, longer. So we have, I would see if it's a global brand, right? A global brand taking a, call it roughly 50 million to a 21.9 million exit haircut on a 150,000 square foot office building, 0.3, a third of a mile away from this studio. Anywhere you want to go on this topic, Lily, show us Well, kudos to CFA for not succumbing to the sunk cost fallacy and recognizing they needed a let go of that building, right? I mean, obviously, this is the direction of travel, and that image of the cubicles covered in dust is in a, like an important metaphor for the time that we live in. The change is here, right? We can't resist it. It's a question of what do we make of it? And in, in response to your reader, I, I have deep compassion, and I feel a strong connection to our local business leaders. I get that this really hurts. It's a freight train, though. We, c- we can't stop it. So the question is, how does our community come together to support those businesses? Shows like this one, the Chamber of Commerce, CBIC, there, there are tons of entities in our community, and it's in the spirit of our community to find ways to make that work. The people who worked at Silverchair, 70% of which are in Charlottesville, aren't necessarily working in the building but they are here, and they are still going to Bagby's. They're still going to Three Notch. They're still enjoying our restaurants and our services. So it's a question of how we all reorient together to what this new reality is. Um, this is a great question specifically for Caleb. This is from Grayson. Jerry, I echo what Jonathan said. You know how I feel about your show and how when we're walking north downtown, my wife and I, your show's topic matter comes up. Please ask Caleb this question. He appears to be the youngest person on set. He would ask if, if it's okay to ask your age. 
Yeah, for sure. I turn uh, 30 in about six days, actually. Okay, so I can't confirm without <laughs> revealing any other people's ages here that Caleb is the youngest person on this studio, and I won't say by how long. He is. But I will say over, over, over a decade minimum here. Uh, this question uh, is from Grayson. Does he think at all that this could be a trend? Working in person was the way for so long. Working remotely in hybrid has been the way for three, call it four years. I don't even think it's been four years. I mean, if you figured the pandemic was in March of 2020, I think we're probably three and a half years and maybe approaching the four-year anniversary. That's me talking. He asked this question specifically to you. Do you see this as a trend where new graduates of school will want to be around their peers? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I think it'll continue. I think people will want that choice um, because I think the question of uh, why do I need to be in the office will always arise. Um, especially for those that work in technology. Um, that spend a lot of their time maybe in Visual Studio Code, not so much talking to people, but coding and doing um, work that requires a lot of intense focus. Um, so yeah, I think it'll continue to be a trend, um, but I think it'll also evolve. Um, Into what? Uh, that's a good question, Jerry. Um, I think, well, hopefully, um, instead of there being blanket uh, requirements from employers to force people to do one of the three. Um, it'll always be a conversation between the hiring manager and the potential employee. Uh, what's best for you? Um, and working around that, having a very honest conversation. Um, and that's actually a conversation that I had with my employer um, prior to being employed. So um, yeah. Um, so The follow-up question for this for sure. is technology, and this is a great question for you, Caleb. You guys jump in as well, Lillian Dirk. Um, technology is evolving. This is from a viewer. Um, Jennifer is watching in short pump. Technology is evolving extremely quickly. Now we can put on goggles and be in a boardroom wearing any clothes we want with an avatar any way we look. She goes, frankly, I like how I look better in avatar form than sometimes when I wake up in the morning. I appreciate her authenticity. Same. Uh, and she says this, as technology continues to evolve, will that be the future of um, connection with employees goggles, glasses, a lens of some kind, as opposed to Zoom, she says, which clearly has still problems. That's a great question. I would say with Zoom, I mean, and frankly, you know, a lot of what we're doing here is, is, is considered in a Zoom realm here. We're streaming on social media. It is still very, so what I'm looking for, um, maybe not linear, but it's not as multi-dimensional as it could be, um, if you may, I think sure. that's fair. Um, you're you're um, the youngest here. You said you're about to turn 30 here. Where do you see the technology evolving to when it comes to the interaction with employees? Basically, is what she's asking. For sure, I think I think that future that she pointed out is a little nascent. Um, what I, do you mean by that specifically? Yeah, well, I think every avatar I have ever had has been ugly. Um, so hopefully, the um, artificial universe or interaction space that is created um, actually is able to replicate some sort of reality. Um, but then the real question is. Do we really want that? Um, do we want a lot of our time to be spent um, in somewhere like the metaverse? Um, and I think uh, that's a, a question that's bigger than just employment. Um, that's a question uh, regarding how you spend a lot of your personal time, just in general. That frankly scares the bejeebus out of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it scares the bejeebus out of me because, like, I would say all of us here, I thrive on human connection. You know, I... I 
I crave it. It's like almost my drug here of being around people and getting the energy of charging from being around others. Love running into Dirk. Love seeing you guys. It invigorates me. Um, now, I understand it's a conversation we've had sometimes, you know, Judah and I, how you, you do, and maybe this is a reflection of my personality here, where he likes the time away from me and some alone time over there, which props to Judah. Um, he and I have worked together for 13 years. Um, so I, I want to throw that to you guys. I mean, Lily, why don't you weave you in the mix here? Dirk, weave you guys in the yeah. mix here. I mean, are we, in a go- are we heading to a goggles on our head environment? Listen, I'm a little out of my skis on this, but I'm going to go for it. (laughs) I I have a friend who's a very successful psychotherapist in the Bay Area, and we were talking about this during the pandemic. Her her perspective was, listen, when you are physically present with somebody else, you are literally having a physical experience. There's something about the resonance of your voice the way that it feels in your chest, the way it hits the other person. This isn't woo-woo stuff. There is research to back this up. It is what you're craving, Jerry, what you're feeling when you see people. That's what it is, right? Good on Meta for trying to figure out how to hack that and create that experience virtually. I just, I'm not sure that it's possible. Time will tell. I hope that it is. I'd love to have that sense of connection with a colleague in Egypt whenever I want it. I just don't know. And, and so that's, that's my position on it. I take a lot of cues from how my children interact with their environment. I have a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old who, by the way, is at Charlottesville High School. And the way they're largely very comfortable relating remotely. In fact, not even over Zoom. It's considered a little boomerish of me to want everything to be like on a video, right? But they're very, they, they like voice. They like text. And when it matters, they make a point of getting together. So I, I, if that's any indication, I see, I can imagine a future like that. Cell phones in schools? I believe there shouldn't be cell phones. Should not? There should not be cell phones in classrooms. I'm very old school that way. But here's, here's the thing. Let's go there, right? Yeah. What, what I don't believe schools have yet solved for is how we actually return to analog in that environment. I think like I, here's a here's a great practical example. My son missed a question on a test last week because he didn't know what time it was. <laughs> he ran out of time. There was no wall clock. You had to come up to the teacher and ask what time it was. So it's stuff like that. Like okay, I'm all for it, but try to walk your way back to the way that things were and the contextual cues that were available to us in that world when we didn't have cell phones. You need to solve for that before you just go yanking the cell phones. Love that. Your thoughts? Anywhere? Yeah, I think I think the you know I, I related to to our son um, who's a computer programmer in Denver and he's introvert and so yes he does want to have interactions but he also needs time away he he feels physically drained when he has too much physical interaction and so I think it's that ba- balance of giving again to Kayla's earlier point, choice, just as we have choice in the office, choice in the way we interact. And you know, he's got friends, his best friend is in Libya, living in London. He's got friends from middle school living in Switzerland and they're still in touch. They play online video games together, but it's not quite the same as getting together in person. And, and that is what I think deepens friendships is, is the live interaction, doing something, experiencing something together. If it's catching up, I'm not sure it has to be in person, but 
if it is experiencing things, yeah, there's a different feeling than that when you sit across from somebody or go hiking with somebody or you know go play with somebody. Uh, Caleb's getting props right now from Tristan. Tristan. Yes. Can you help me with his last name? I don't even know it. I just call him Tristan. But he's a great friend. He said, I'm thrilled to see Caleb Nelson on this platform, incredible advocate for the Charlottesville community, and someone who invests his time intentionally to grow the people around him. You guys are lucky to have him. This question is a very good one. Um, Jerry, um, you know I'm not hesitant to offer my perspective, my questions, and my analysis on your program with my name attached to it. On this particular one, you know where I work, you know the position I have, and you know the employees under me. Please do not use, utilize my name if you're going to read this comment and question on air. Please ask your panel this. We have a team of nearly 200 staffers. Some of them are choosing to come into work and work every day in person. Others are choosing to do a mix of both, hybrid or remote, and still others are choosing to stay at home and connect with the various technology options we offer. How is someone like me or my peers who comes into work every day not going to play favorites for those that we see in the hallways, the break room, the work room, the elevator every day? Know and own your biases. If you, you're, you're telling me, uh, unknown question asker, that you already know this about yourself and you might also know this about your leadership team, make sure that you're training people not to do that. Right? When, when we evaluate performance, we ask, how do you know what you think you know about how somebody is performing? So in, in this future world that we're all living in, that we're advocating for, what we're saying is be more data-driven in your assessments of how people are doing, rather than simply relying on how you feel about them, which could be some cocktail informed by how you felt when you interacted with them in person. It may just not be relevant. I'd like to answer that, actually. Um, and it relates to what you said um, earlier. Um, and this is very personal as well. So um, when I was working in the office, um, I, I struggled with just performance. This is World Strides? When I was at World Strides and SMB Global, we were um, fully in the office. Um, and what I didn't realize until I had to consult somebody was that I had anxiety. Um, I struggled with uh, being not only the person of the only person of color on my team, but on the floor at times. Um, so when I had, well, unfortunately, had the opportunity to work for remote uh, during the pandemic, I I was a lot more healthy um, and I performed really well. And I think I overachieved on every assessment that I had from that point forward. Even when I was uh, studying my master's, because I was working full time and in school. So I think at times, it's, I, I'd hope he would not have a bias, um, especially when the people in the office may not actually want to be in the office, or the people that are outside of the office um, are a lot more healthy and may perform better as a result of being at home. Um, so yeah, I totally support Lily's statement. Um, definitely reconsider those biases, because you never know how someone is um, uh, life is in and outside of the office. Can I, can I actually connect that to one of the most memorable speeches from last year's Disrupt HR, um, uh, the speech where it was two in the room. Yeah. The, the point that was Michael made. Michael Kessel. Yes. The point that he made was that if you're the only person on the floor um, who is in a group, it is really hard to, A, feel included, and B, move the group forward in, in a direction. And what his research showed is as soon as you have two people in a room, that are part of this discussion that, that are 
the same that feel connected, then the whole group becomes more open and you can move the discussion in the direction that is, is, is uh, necessary. And I'm thinking of that because one of the speakers this year at Disrupt HR is at the Charlottesville Fire Department, heard the talk last year, and then took it back to the Charlottesville Fire Department, and they changed the way they integrate diverse candidates into the fire department now sure. because they had the same issue with people not feeling integrated, possibly being anxious, and leaving more uh, frequently than the, the, you know, the, the white male candidates that they, had, that they brought in. And so I think that was one of the things that, that for me is, is also, you know, for this October is, is I'm really looking forward to is these 12 ideas that these 12 speakers bring to, to us that really make a difference in our community as that talk last year did with the two in the room. I love it. And we're going to highlight the uh, who, what, when, where, why of the event. Um, we have a conference call at 1.45, so we have eight minutes left, and I have so much I want to cover. I want to maximize the time as much as possible. Um, this is a great question that's come in from Thomas, who is watching outside Hampton, Virginia. And Thomas says, what is going to be the future of these buildings then? Please ask your panel that question. My, my personal perspective, or what I hope for, is that we will integrate various aspects of our community into a building, right? Um, there, a friend of mine lived in a building in Oregon that combined apartments, co-working spaces, retail, gym, sort of everything that you needed was right there in that building. I would love to see more of that sort of a concept emerge in our community. I think there's a real opportunity. In fact, hilariously, at one point when our we considered housing our president in our office building as, as one thought during the pandemic. And, and that's... President that, Silverchair? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Because we, we had all this extra office space. We were just thinking of different creative ways to use it. So that's, that is my encouragement, is that we, we use that power of civic engagement to put our heads together to come up with creative and purpose-filled uses for these office buildings. But it will be hard, right? I mean, th th it's harder to build a multi-purpose space than to have an office, have a building for apartments, have a building for retail, and mixing it all will drive up the cost of these buildings. And, and it, it is economic disruption, right? It will take time to adjust for this, and it will be difficult to adjust for it. But if we do come to this mixed use, I think it may also be revitalize downtown areas because it will be a more natural mix of living and working and therefore you will have people downtown not just during working hours but doing all hours because we'll have more people here that are just living here as well. There's a, there's a boatload of questions. I'm going to do my best to get to as many as possible here as we pick up the tempo with about seven minutes left. I literally push it right to 144 in like 40 seconds before our 145 conference call. J-Dubs, you're ready to rock and roll for that one. Linnell on Twitter, does the panel have experience with onboarding entry level, first job out of college grads in remote roles? Thoughts on benefits or challenges on this from Linnell on Twitter? Uh, thanks, Linnell. Uh, we, we bring everybody who's new to Silverchair into the office for a period of time for onboarding. I can't remember if it was Dirk or Caleb who had spoken to that earlier. So that's part of what we do to help to bridge that gap. I think where you may be going with the question is how do you instill appropriate 
professional routines and habits into or somebody culture. who's or, or culture, right? Yeah. Somebody who's who's right out of college. And the answer is you just have to double down on that intentionality. Like make sure that you're assigning a mentor to that new team member who's able to bring them along. Make sure that you have multiple touch points. It's all the more important that you be intentional in your culture building with people who are not only new to you, but new to the world of work in general. But we've we actually have had significant success. I mean, not, I would say not dissimilar to being co-located during the pandemic onboarding people who are right out of college. You touch that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I come back to, to, to my son <laughs> when he was onboarding during the pandemic and now after he was saying that three days in the office, which is what they're doing, are really helpful for the first couple of years out, actually. So extended period of time for him um, because he does feel that he's still developing deeper networks and connections with people, and it is his first job out of college. And so that feedback that you get early on from your manager, from a mentor, is so critical for your own understanding of self, from your own understanding of your capabilities, of how you work, how you're productive, that that can be really helpful. This question from the UVA sociology department. Does the panel see a correlation or a cause and effect with remote work and homelessness in downtown Charlottesville? From our vantage point, less traffic on the downtown mall could create more homelessness on the downtown mall. Who wants to touch that one? Well, I'm happy to you know take on any topic I know nothing about. <laughs> but, but is is the I wonder if the question is suggesting that with with um, less occupancy and less foot traffic on the downtown mall, that then the homeless population feels more comfortable being on that's, the downtown that's mall. That's it. That's right. It. Uh, it, I'm not. I'm not sure that I. Per, this is in, entirely anecdotal. I'm not sure that I've noticed an uptick in the presence of homeless individuals on the downtown mall during the pandemic, but I could be wrong. I'll kick it to my co-panels. Anyone want to touch that? Dirk, you want to touch that one? It's, it's, it, the, the question of homelessness is, if homelessness increases overall, it will be more visible everywhere. I mean, if, if you're homeless, you congregate to places that, um, that are not remote, right? You don't go to a suburb where there are no sidewalks. You go to places where there are sidewalks and where there are other people around. And so um, I, I wonder whether it's actually the other way around. If there's, if there's less people in downtown mall, then there's less ways for homeless people to actually generate some kind of funds for, uh, for food from the people that are passing by. And so therefore, it's less of an incentive to be in downtown. Carly Wagner, the engineer watching the program, adaptive reuse is the future of design and construction, undoubtedly, she says in the feed. Yeah. Um, four minutes left. We have to get the nitty-gritty for what is going to be just an absolutely phenomenal event. Um, Lily, why don't you take the charge? Caleb, you jump in. Dirk, jump in. Uh, Disrupt HR. It's an event of monumental proportions. <laughs> Tuesday, October 3rd, from 5 to 8 p.m. with a charitable component. That's, that's right. So we, we exist as a, a means of raising funds for computers for kids. Uh, I, I do want to go back to your point about mentoring. It, it is so important. That is what they do. They, they impart STEM-based mentoring to uh, underprivileged youth from our community to create economic opportunity for themselves and for their families in the future. It's a subject that I'm very passionate about. It's, it's why I'm still involved with this project. I am... 
I am the daughter of immigrants, and I did not realize until later in my life that uh, I, it isn't as if the American dream carried me. I got really, really lucky along the way and had mentors at every turn who were willing to make an investment in me. And so I'm very passionate about making those investments intentionally in, in kids who otherwise wouldn't have those opportunities. I want other people to have the chance to live the dream that I've been able to live. Uh, we've been at this for five years. We took a hiatus during the pandemic. And, um, and this year, we we're welcoming Paul Beyer to the stage. And I think that that's important because he's speaking to the importance of creating civic ritual. And it struck me when I saw the title of his talk that that's exactly what we're doing here. It's, it snowballs every single year. It takes on a life of its own. And I'm, I just couldn't be more excited about the lineup of speakers that we have. I um, encourage everybody to attend. It's, it's a, a mind-blowing, perspective-shifting experience that is all there for a good cause and very much in the spirit of the Charlottesville community. Paul Beyer, the founder of the TomTom Tom Festival. Caleb, the show is yours. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Lily. That was beautiful. Um, I would say that I, I grew up pretty privileged. My uh, parents gave me abundance of not only love, but also opportunities and resources. Um, so I am very saddened when I see people that look like me or kids that look like me that don't have those same sort of opportunities and resources. Um, so that's why I um, have not only been on the board for about five years, but also serve as a mentor um, and now have the privilege of uh, leading the board as president. Um, and before I pass it off to Dirk, I'd like to actually give you your flowers. Uh, Jerry, I think the show is great. Um, informing the community is super important, um, and I'm also super grateful for this opportunity to speak with you. Thank you for joining us. Thank for you sure. for joining us. Philip Dow in Scottsville, wonderful show. I have experienced all that you have talked about, you specifically, working as a software, senior software engineer. That's Philip Dow in Scottsville. Dirk Peterson, with some closing thoughts. Yeah, we have 12 phenomenal speakers this year. I've um, spoken with each one of them, and as Lily said, each one of them is going to help and it's going to just shift the perspective. But overall, what you'll get from the evening from on October 3rd from 5 to 8 is you'll, you'll, you'll be there and you'll get to experience the vibrancy of Charlottesville, the many activities that are going on, the incredible people that we have in this town that bring the energy, that, that create businesses, that create nonprofits, and that make this such a great place to live and thrive. And so I really hope to see you there. We had a sold-out house last two times we did this, and I think the tickets are selling really well again this year, so it will be just really fun night. I love this panel. I love this interview. I love doing this specific interview every year. Uh, this is the second straight year we've done it. Thank you for help setting this up. You're a phenomenal addition to the panel. Thank you. Uh, Lily, you crushed it just like you did last year. This was fantastic. Thanks, Jerry. We have our customary Tuesday 145 call, which starts in approximately nine seconds. Interestingly, <laughs> analytics is the topic of this call with one of our clients, uh, which we manage the brand of. Judah Wickhauer, you deserve significant props and accolades for keeping us online. Judah Wickhauer, ladies and gentlemen, the director of the show. This is the I Love Seagull show where we just want to be the water cooler of conversation in central Virginia. We can agree to disagree and do it in respectful fashion, but as long as we're having conversation about topic matters that are important, we're moving the community forward. That's the whole essence of what we do here. Thank you kindly for joining us. We will see you tomorrow at 1230. Take care, everyone. Awesome. Thank you.